Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Compliant with Alliant podcast. It has been a minute, as they say. Thank you for joining us. Uh, I'm your host, Christine Blanco. I'm the Director of Compliance here at Alliant Employee Benefits, and Diane is here with me as well. Hello, everyone. Also a compliance attorney uh, here at Alliant, and I guess I feel like it's worthy of reminding you because it has been, I think if we look back on it, about six months since we've podcasted and 17 years in COVID time. (laughs) So um, we are at a point where we thought it made sense to get back on the record with you guys and um, address some key, you know, some key developments at Impact Group Health Plans. So Diana and I are going to take you through uh, the Appropriations Act. Um, Before we jump into it, just level set a little bit. You may have remembered or noticed Um, There's been a lot going on the past few weeks that um, Congress passed the Appropriations Act at the end of December um, that had a host of provisions in it. It was 5,600 pages. Well, yeah, and I just want to say when the Appropriations Act sort of first came down, I was really quick to volunteer to read it all and write it all up. She was. Mm -hmm. And then I realized it was 5,600 pages. But... um, Only 600 pages were actually substantively relevant to your group health plan. Right, which we all just divided up into 1,000-page chunks to figure that out. So at any rate, it was a wonderful holiday gift from Congress. We usually have those. Um, This one was particularly sweet. Um, There was a host of provisions in there, COVID relief, whatnot. And we just kind of assumed, well, you know, we're going to leaf through this and figure it out. And then... Um, As it turns out, there were a number of key provisions impacting group health plans, Um, not necessarily obvious, but definitely worthy of addressing and and, and lend themselves probably to a discussion on podcasts rather than sort of a staid PowerPoint, we decided. So that's how we're going to do this. Well, and uh, don't forget, we've got um, five alerts. So everything (laughs) we talk about today, we have written an alert on. We did them on a standalone basis, so you don't have to leave through a 20-page alert to find what you were looking for. So just know they're discrete, and there are five. Yep, and so so if you want to dig deeper, we have that out there, and it really did take five separate alerts. We pulled them apart based on topics. So right now I'm going to hit that. We're going to run through these, but we're going to talk about mental mental health parity developments, some updates on pharmacy, FSAs and DCAPs, which are huge just from a pragmatic standpoint. Um, We're going to talk about the No Surprises Act, which is a key component of the Appropriations Act. And we're going to talk about transparency provisions. I'm also going to fold back in some transparency rules that are finalized, that were finalized at the end of last year as well. Looking forward to what your, what some requirements for your group health plan are going to be in the coming years. So with that, I think I'm going to turn it over to Diana to talk about FSAs and DCAPs. Yeah, and I think the thing that's um, important in how we ordered this is we we didn't want to bury the lead here, and people have been just clamoring about relief for health FSAs and DCAPs. So we know that both of those accounts are subject to use it or lose it rules, which historically haven't really been a big deal, but sort of when when the world stopped with COVID, um, we started just seeing panic around you know, people, people are going to have these mass forfeitures. So, uh, you know, thankfully, in May of 2020, the IRS came out and they did allow for some increased flexibility on election changes. And then they allowed for um, basically extending the window within expenses could be reimbursed. So that was a, a big relief for a lot of people, but it just wasn't enough. We were still seeing forfeitures. Uh, I had one plan reach out uh, saying they're having 25% 
forfeitures from, uh, I think that was just from the DCAP. Right. Health FSAs have been easier to use, but your children are obviously not in care. Yes, I'm very aware of that personally. <laughs> Chris's child m- might be in care in a weird cabana in her backyard, but it's it's not what it was, and it's generally not reimbursable under a DCAP. So I just want to go through really quickly the relief that we got in the Appropriations Act. First thing, very welcome. If you have a cafeteria plan with a carryover, you can have, for plan years ending in 2020, an unlimited carryover. So we had 500, they indexed it to 550, uh, now all bets are off. They also extended that to health FSAs and DCAPs with plan years ending in 2021. So into your 2022 plan year, you have unlimited carryovers. Um, Do we need to level set on carryovers versus grace period? Well, I think that's a good point because uh, most plans are drafted so that your health FSA either has a grace period of two and a half months where you can continue to incur claims after the end of the plan year or a carryover where you could roll $500 indexed to 550 of funds over. Interestingly here, DCAPs were never allowed a carryover and the Appropriations Act just kind of glosses over that. (laughs) So apparently now, if you have a cafeteria plan, with a carryover, you get unlimited carryovers for your health FSA and your DCAP for plan years ending both in 2020 and in 2021. So that's a big deal. So it turns out when you slam together 5,600 pages of legislation, it might not be the cleanest. Uh, they maybe didn't realize that decaps were never subject to carryovers. but Details, uh, details. Apparently now they are. <laughs> so, so again, grace periods are um, an option, an alternative to a carryover. And that just basically gives plans a, another two and a half months where you can incur claims. So that's that's been really great. But they have recognized that two and a half months may not cut it. So again, they have said that for a plan year ending in 2020, your grace period uh, doesn't, it's not limited to two and a half months. It can be 12 months after the end of the plan year. So that's great. And again, they did it for plan years ending in 2021. So when we look at carryovers and grace periods, we don't need to really split hairs here. Effectively, you get the same relief. So you are avoiding your forfeitures for 2020 and 2021 plan years. Can we talk about the practical implications of that in terms of election changes and, you know, what, because that's what we're seeing questions on. Does this mean I get to, you know, do, make this change and... and can we hit that a little bit? Okay, so it's it's not a total free-for-all. And it's optional. All of this is optional. Let's yeah. always remember with a cafeteria plan, they're never forcing your hand. Right. All of these things are optional. But we have to work within the rules that they've given us. So they have said in the Appropriations Act, so for health FSAs and DCAPs, with plan years ending in 2021, you can allow employees to make prospective election changes Again, just to health FSAs and DCAPs. It is not a free-for-all. So we're looking primarily at your non-calendar year 2020 plans. So they get to make election changes. And um, it is not lost on me that our 1-1-21 plans also do end in 2021. But we want to be very careful there about allowing election changes. Those elections were just made. These are fresh elections. And if you allow people, particularly the health FSA, to blow out their election up to the statutory limit and have, let's say, their carryover from the prior year, you just have a a tremendous risk um, under the uniform coverage rule. So the workplaces 
um, sadly are still a little bit volatile. So if you have any um, sense that you might be letting employees go or there's movement among your employee population, perhaps because of your industry, you probably don't want to allow people to blow out that health FSA. Because remember, the uniform coverage rule provides they make the election on 1-1. They've carried over, let's say they've carried over $2,000. So you have $4,500. They go, they spend every last dime on it, you know, January 3rd, 4th, 5th, whatever it is today. And then they leave. And you cannot, yeah, you cannot so take those 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 funds back. That's the caution. That's the consideration when this is optional. But um, again, why cafeteria plans are always tricky? That rule doesn't apply to decap. So it's just uh, we're always sort of looking at complexity and administration. And I just wanted to hit one last rule on decaps, and this is pretty narrow. But if you have a child who aged out during the 2020 mm-hmm. plan year, and uh, so you you basically are looking at turned 13, they said you can go ahead and incur and submit those expenses, and they're going to ignore that limiting age for your next plan year. So that's a nice bit of relief, but it's for a narrow subset. Yeah, okay, good. Thank you. Um, All these changes that that appear pretty simple can create just a ton of practical issues. So we know that you guys are seeing this, and we hope that that's helpful. Um, Moving away from sort of less maybe directly participant impactful changes are some key updates that are going to involve reporting. So anytime your plan's going to have to show up and tell somebody about something, um, we want you guys to know about it. So the um, Appropriations Act has a pharmacy benefit and drug cost reporting requirement, which is brand new and really dovetails with a lot of what we've been seeing from a policy perspective from the administration with transparency and prescription drugs and transparency in general. Um, we should probably caveat that we know that there's a switch in administration coming, and while generally that will come with some policy shift, transparency seems to be um, something that would apply regardless, you know, the, something that we're moving toward um, regardless of administration, but, you know, we'll, we'll see. Um, these regs are, or this is a statute, um, and I'm getting ahead of myself on some other regs, so I'm going to just stick with the pharmacy. Um, <laughs> so the pharmacy reporting Um, requires all group health plans, so ERISA and also your public sector plans, to submit very detailed information, um, generally by December of 2021, with the first reporting pretty coming up pretty quickly in June of next year, including the following information. So uh, sort of all your information you'd expect to have to report, beginning and end of the plan year, how many participants do you have, Interestingly, each state in which the plan is offered, which feels very M1-ish, you know, if you're filing a MIWA, but then very granular information about the prescription drugs. So 50 brand drugs that are most frequently distributed, the most costly 50 uh, drugs, the 50 prescription drugs with the greatest increase in plan expenditures, I could go on and on, but very granular information about your RX plan And so, obviously, they want to see some visibility into sort of the macro spend on pharma in the group health plan space. And so, this will be a lift. It will require information from your TPAs. If you have a carved-in pharmacy plan with a major carrier or TPA, this should be something that they're doing. If you have a carved-out plan, you're going to want to have a conversation pretty quickly with those PBMs as to what they're able to do here because this is not something that you're going to be able to generate from claims data or your broker is going to be able to generate either. So um, just be aware of that. Start dialoguing and having that discussion with your vendors. Let's see. 
What comes next? Uh, mental health parity. Oh, yeah, other more reporting. Well, potential reporting. So Chris always gets mad at me when I try and talk about mental health parity. Um, and plus, she always gives me the bad stuff to talk about. The last time we did a webinar on mental health parity, oh, yeah. she jumped down my throat. <laughs> Literally, why would you want to talk about something this complicated? She's never going to let me live this down. I think it was the one time in our relationship I snapped. <laughs> and the reason we need to talk about it, and I know it's Ew. it's unpleasant and it's complicated, is because it's complicated and we all have to build our sort of baseline understanding on it. And here is why. Every time. Every time. Okay. Yes. <laughs> okay. Under the Appropriations Act, and this was a big surprise to me, um, plans are required to perform testing on non-quantitative treatment limits and make those results available to the applicable federal agency or any state department upon request, and here's the big bit, within 45 days of enactment of the Appropriations Act, which if I can count and that is questionable on some days, would be February 10th, 2021. Uh, yeah, so... So uh, that, this is like getting your act together pretty quickly. So now can we, now that we've done math, can we digest that Greek non-qualitative? Well, I know, and I, I didn't want to sort of bury the lead on it's limited to NQTLs, or non-quantitative treatment limits, and there is a potential reporting deadline that is coming up fast, but I don't want to sort of incite panic because, um, you know, DOL, they're not going to send out a mass request to every plan on February 10th. They're just not. So it's, it's not like this has to be sort of on your desk by that date, but you certainly need a compliance plan in place. And just really, um, let me just go back in time a little bit because this isn't actually new, but it, it is incredibly difficult. And before you go there, I think it's important to recognize that this is these are all statutory provisions that will, most of them will require implementing regulations as well, at least on the P, on the PBM reporting provision. Yeah, I mean, I think we're seeing that with almost everything in the Appropriations Act. Yeah. Um, but this this mental health parity piece, less than most, because yeah. this is building on existing law. Mm-hmm. Mental health parity was enacted in 1996. They built on it. It became the Mental Health Parity Addiction Equity Act in 2008. We had regs come out in 2014. Um, all of the agencies were screaming that uh, enforcement of non-quantitative treatment limits was their priority, uh, but plans seem to largely ignore that, mm-hmm. um, probably until just about now. But so we just understand the basics of mental health parity. We know that financial requirements like copays and deductibles, quantitative limits like visit limits, things like that, and non-quantitative treatment limits, things like medical management standards, formularies, or network access that apply to mental health and substance use disorder benefits cannot be more restrictive than the limits that apply to medical or surgical benefits. Um, So this is just tricky. The quantitative limits are mathematical. They generally require um, actual claims data and a lot of math. But the non-quantitative treatment limits are a lot more gray, and that's been the challenge. But what we still can do here is if you are really just running a benefit option without carve-outs, we should be able to push this to our carrier, to our TPA. What are your standards on all of these non-quantitative limits? Fail first, all of that stuff. Um, And have them hopefully 
um, step up and help us meet this obligation as a group health plan. But where we're going to see challenges are where we have carved out things like pharma um, or, you know, sometimes we see wholesale carve out of mental health coverage. And then we're going to just see a little bit of a pain point. And I think we also need to be able to speak to some of the new um, partners who've come to the table, things like telemed or concierge care. Especially because we have a massive increase of that with COVID. And just those are not typically going to be problems under NQTL analysis, but we need to at least be able to speak to those. Um, And I think I just want to hit kind of the level of detail that this reporting is going to require um, and not go too deep into it, but just so you know what you're going to need to see from your partners. So what we might be required to report on request by our agencies are our specific plan terms regarding NQTLs. And then they want them in each benefit classification. So all of mental health parity works within six benefit classifications. So just keep that in mind if you see something broken out that way. Uh, We need to know all of the evidentiary standards that we use um, for design and application of NQTLs. We need a comparative analysis demonstrating that all of the processes, strategies, and evidentiary standards used or applied to NQTLs are not more restrictive than those from uh, medical or surgical benefits. And then again, the conclusions reached by the plan with the results of all of the analysis indicating that the plan is or is not in compliance. So, so it's a lot, but what I will tell you is we have a beautiful white paper. I was going to say, can we talk about translating all of these terms? <laughs> well, it, it's going to be something where um, if any of this was yep. over your head, uh, print our yep. Alliant Insight on mental health parity. Mm-hmm. And we actually have a lovely recorded webinar that we do. Chris did not want to do. But I am definitely paying for that now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're benefiting, I'm paying. So take a listen to that too, because it really does break it down. And, and if you're confused, don't be alarmed. It's confusing. It's complex. Every time we come back at it, we kind of have to shake our heads and, and, and level set. So, um, But we have a ton of resources here available to you as we move into this requirement where there's some sort of affirmative obligation um, upon the plans to potentially report to agencies where yeah. there wasn't before. So um, don't panic. I realize February 10th is very, very close. Uh, just make a plan. Good. And with that, um, I'm going to say that I lied in the beginning. We're going to close out this this part of the the podcast because you, we know we can only ramble for so long. We'll do an appropriations um, act part two should you want to listen. Uh, so thank you for joining us today, and we will be back with you on more on the appropriations act shortly.